0: going to start this morning with a little quiz because when you preach occasionally you can literally pick anywhere in the bible to preach from so you get to, no that's not true you're not going to get to choose you get to guess by asking me questions to which i'll give yes no answers and we're going to narrow it down within a minute so if you if you want to, no, you have to, uh, hands up please liam's clearly not played the yes no game before he's gone straight in for specifics is it ruth peter no Yes. Say it again. It's in Matthew, yes. Yes. Hannah. No. Your hand wasn't up, Christine. Back off. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 28. Catherine's tied it down to 28. Any verses? Anyone want to go for verses? There's four of them. It's the Great Commission, Andrew Bryson, yes. The Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How exciting. Um, well done, that was quite quick. I think that was less than a minute. I'm really pleased. You've done really well so far. Hopefully your listening skills stand up to your question skills. We shall see. So the Great Commission, this is when Jesus says to his disciples, this is what I want you to do with your lives. This is what your lives are all about. This is how I want you to spend your time. This is your commission. This is your mission. This is what I want you to do. And that applies to us today, now, in the 21st century. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Jesus was born to Mary, who was a virgin. He lived a perfect life. As the Son of God, he never sinned. Instead, he went to the cross for us. He took the punishment that we deserved. The mercy of God that we've just been singing about was such that God the Father sent the Son to the cross to die for us. But he didn't remain in the grave He rose again three days later. He came back to life. He defeated sin and death. And then he appeared to the disciples on many occasions. This is one of those occasions. This is the risen Christ, the one who has suffered for our sins, the one who has died and risen again, the one who has gathered 12 men to him, one who betrayed him. And he says to them, Go, therefore, and make disciples. That is their commission. Three years of training for this moment. Go and make disciples. Another quiz. Be honest. This is not a sticky hands up situation. Well, if you want to, you can do. How many people, when you realized that I was talking on this passage, just a little, tinsy, wincy bit of you went a little bit, oh. Reaching out. Oh evangelism. Yeah. I find that quite hard. Don't want to do that really. It's quite difficult, isn't it? A little bit of you your heart sank a little bit. Now I think that reaction is typical of a lot of us. That when we talk about evangelism, reaching out, going into the world and making disciples, there can be a little bit of weight. A little bit of a burden. I don't do that enough, do I? And if I do, I don't do it very well. But we can't get away from this commission. This is what God has for us. I'm not actually going to say much about that verse, about going and making disciples. We're going to read it in a second. We'll get there in a second. I'm going to speak about what comes before and what comes afterwards. And I'll explain why a little bit more after we've read the passage. Let's go to Matthew 28, verse 16. This is the risen Christ speaking to his disciples in a second. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, "'All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A lot of attention has been given to go and make disciples of all nations. And it's totally appropriate. But I want to suggest to us today that there's a few other things we need to get sorted There's a few other things we need to understand before we fully and totally can get hold of that and live it out as Jesus would want us to do. So we're going to look at those things today. And the first question I want us to answer together as we look at this passage is, what is the context for this commission? What is the context for this commission that Jesus gives the disciples and gives us as disciples of Jesus? Verse 17 says this, When they saw him, they worshipped. When they saw the risen Christ, they worshipped. Let me suggest something blatantly obvious, but I just want to underline it quite considerably today. Jesus commissions worshippers. Jesus commissions worshipers worshippers. Not servants, not even friends, though they were his friends. He commissions worshippers. He wants worshippers on mission, not just obedient robots who dutifully are going and making disciples. He wants people who worship to go and make disciples. So perhaps before you ask yourself the question, am I, am I making disciples? Am I going and making disciples? Maybe it's more appropriate to ask. Have I seen Jesus as he really is? Have I understood this mercy that stirred so many people this morning? Have I got hold of his grace for me? will i receive all the things that i do not deserve because of his grace have have i in some small way begun to grasp the nature of his unchanging never ending ardent obstinate stubborn love for me am i a worshiper do i love jesus Am I enjoying Christ? You see, relationship with God is not really about doing the right thing. Some of that is important. Relationship with God is all about enjoying Him. He called us into relationship with Him. Not that we might do His bidding, but that we might know Him. Let me suggest this to you. If you know this God, if you know this love, if you know this mercy and grace, then you will be a worshiper. If you've tasted, you know it's good. If you've seen Jesus, you'll give your life for him. If you know what he's done for you, nothing is too much. For him Jesus explained his mission in a slightly different way and it's the mission we have as well let's turn to John 17 a few Gospels later John 17 verse 25 this is what Jesus says this is him praying to the father Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is Jesus' Jesus explicit, specific mission he declares in his prayer to the Father. The disciples are listening Him, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. This is staggering. The Father loves the Son perfectly. Jesus' mission was that same love should be known and experienced by his disciples and followers. That means Jesus wants you to know the love the Father has for you in the same way that the Father loves Jesus. And that love is available. That love is for all those that believe. So Jesus' mission was to make that love known. And therefore, we can just quite simply, that's also our mission. Go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make the love of the Father known. And there's two things here, really. If we've experienced the love of the Father, we want other people to know about that. It's just slightly selfish, isn't it, to go, wow, I've experienced this love. I'm going to keep it to myself. The nature of God's love is that it is unending. So therefore, we lose nothing by giving it away. I think there was a song I used to sing at school. Love is something if you give it away. It's just like a magic penny. Hold it tight, you won't have any. Lend it, spend it, you'll have so many, it's all over the floor. don't know why that's come back to me right now. God's love is like a magic penny. No, it's far better than a magic penny. It never runs out. It never stops, it never ends. And if we've experienced it, we will want to, deeply and ardently, others to know about that. So have you tasted of God's love? Do you know God's love? Do you enjoy Him? Are you a worshipper of Christ? It's so thrilling to hear Christina's song, just talking about the love of God that He has for us. It's stirred her soul. Has it stirred yours? Has it aroused your emotions? Has it got you excited? Has the truth of the word made an impact in your life? i recommended this book before. I'm still surprised how little people have read it. It's only small. It's great. Read it twice because it just blows your mind. It's great. Let me read a very challenging quote from this. This is what Michael Reeves says. If I don't enjoy Christ, I won't speak of him. Or perhaps worse, I will, but without love and enjoyment. And if my mouth does give away my heart, people will hear of an unwanted Christ. And who would want that? The Spirit, of course, can use such loveless evangelism. But his real work is to bring us to and keep us in the sunshine of God's love. It is there that we will sing heartily. It is there, abiding in Christ, that we will bear fruit. Are we abiding in his love? Are we dwelling in Christ? Let me add to that with a challenge for you personally and for me personally, don't get me wrong, I'm not sorted on this, could it be that a slight reluctance to reach out, or even our ineffectiveness when we do reach out, is because we are not enjoying Christ? Now, I know it's not as simple as that. I know it's more complex than that. So don't feel a weight or a legalism or a burden in that. I just want to gently challenge us. And let's to come back and say are we really enjoying Christ are we enjoying relationship with him and walking with him do we know his mercy at work in our lives is the joy of our salvation bubbling up the point I'm trying to make is this really and we're just going to stick the first slide up Tom Davies if that's alright Jules used to own a car like this she had a little mini This is the point I want to make. Okay. If you're under 10, this is a quiz for the under 10s. Not under 10 foot, under 10 years old. Just need to clarify that. You have to put something in cars to make them go. Don't you? Now, could it be this? A cabbage. You put cabbages in cars? There's lots of fuel and energy in cabbages, isn't there? No? No. Okay, maybe we should put This in the car. Jam. I've heard there's lots of energy in jam. Do you don't don't think that would work? Petrol. Petrol. Well done, Micah. We should put petrol in cars to fuel and to make the car go. If we want to go into mission, do you know what we put in our car? Any ideas? (laughs) Petrol. Yeah. Metaphoric. Daddy will explain it when you get home. What do we put in our car to go into mission? We want to make sure it's worship and love and enjoying Christ. Because that is the greatest fuel for mission. It's not not cabbages. It's not weight and burden and legalism. It's not jam. I have to do this. I should do this. I don't do this. I need to do it more. That person's better at me. I need to be like them. I have to do it. No, no, no. We make sure we get the right fuel for evangelism, the love that God has for us and as expressed through us through the cross, relationship with him, joy. Those are the right things that propel us into mission. And I suspect make us more successful and effective when we are on mission as well. Let me put it in a pity way, pithy, just a second, pithy way. When we go, it should be a joy, not a duty. And if it feels like a duty, maybe you just need to ask yourself a couple of challenging questions about your relationship with God. And I've, I've had to do that myself. I'm not in any way casting aspersions or pointing the finger. I'm talking to myself here, I genuinely am. If it feels like a duty, I need to address my relationship with God a bit more. So that was the first question what is the context of a commission? You'll be very pleased to know there's only a second point. Two points for today. So if joy, love, worship are the things that propel us into mission, what are the things that hold us back? I think I could probably put it into one word of four letters beginning with F and I'll quickly get in and say fear. I think it's fear. Generally I think that is the main thing that holds us back. If we've got the fuel right I think we can still be held back by fear. Fear of man. What will people think of me? What will they say? What will they do to me if I begin to speak about what I believe and whom I love? Or maybe there's a fear of failure. I haven't got the right words. I haven't got the resources. I haven't got the powers. I haven't got the skills. I haven't got the ability. No one's going to listen to me, are they? What can I do? Let's just turn to 1 Corinthians 1 for a second, which is the other way in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1. I absolutely love this passage. I don't know about you. Anyone getting close to 40 and beyond? That would be me. The older I get, I feel more foolish. <laughs> genuinely. That's not like a, an amusing statement. That's just genuinely the way I feel. And so I rejoice when I read passages like this from the Bible. Verse 27 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Do you feel foolish or weak or lowly celebrating that fact? Because that genuinely means you definitely are chosen. He has chosen you to nullify the strong to take down the world's wise. So when we're thinking about reaching out and the possibility of failing, we can know this. He's chosen us. When I feel at my most foolish, he has still chosen me. When I feel at my least ineffective, he has still chosen me. When I feel my most lowly, he has still chosen me to do his work. And there's a real confidence and a real security in that. But in the actual passage we're looking at, Jesus directly addresses these fears. So what does he say? He says, in verse 20, And surely, which is our modern translation of the word lo, or behold, in the words listen, this is definitely true. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. What comfort! What great comfort that he is with us. But if you were actually a disciple at that point in time, that could have been quite a confusing statement. Because at this point in time, Jesus is in what I call the fairy godmother stage. Where he's kind of appearing and then disappearing. There's about three or four appearances. He appears, walks through a wall. Well, that's cool. And then speaks to his disciples. He appears and makes them a barbecue breakfast. Now, how cool is that? That's one of my favorite things about Jesus. Back to work, the disciples go. They, they land the boat, and Jesus made barbecued fish for breakfast. Just think about it. The risen Christ chooses to do that as one of the things that he can do before he ascends. It's an astounding personal God we have an astounding relational God, but that's not the point I came here to make about the barbecued fish. That was a byproduct of the fairy godmother thing. They have seen him appear and go again. He says, surely I'm with you to the end of the age. I've just appeared to you. Surely I'm with you. And I'm about to disappear. So they're like, "Mm, are you sure that you're surely going to be with us? We see it in hindsight and we know exactly what he was talking about. Although, in his physical form, he was about to disappear for centuries, he actually does make one more appearance, which we read about in Acts 1. Let's turn to Acts 1. And here, he makes clear what he means when he says, surely I will be with you. So in Acts 1, verse 4, he says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem... But wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then skipping to verse 8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Wait, wait for the Holy Spirit, wait for the gift, wait for the power, then go. Surely I'm with you because the Holy Spirit comes and transforms the disciples. Just think about Peter. The man who in the night that Jesus was betrayed was saying, never ever will I leave you. I will not deny you, Jesus. He was confident of it. In his own strength, he was confident that wouldn't happen. Before the cock crowed three, three times, he denied Jesus. Day of Pentecost, the disciples filled with the Holy Spirit, the room shakes, tongues of fire. What does Peter do? Does he deny Jesus again? No way. 3,000 plus. Does he do a nice little subtle sermon? about the fact they need to maybe respond, maybe change the lives of bit. You crucified the Messiah. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes a three times denier into a crucify the Messiah. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. When we receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes, we receive power to be witnesses, to go, and we are transformed. And Ephesians tells us we need to keep on being filled. So we may have been filled and had that verve and that desire, but it can wane. We want to be filled again and know that power that changes us from a denier to go out and, and speak powerfully and boldly of Jesus and his love. For me, it's a little bit like trying to fly a kite without any wind. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that. It's not actually impossible. You can actually fly a kite without wind if you run very, very fast. You create the wind yourself. And sometimes when we're reaching out because we think we have to, we're just running as fast as we can, trying to get the kite up, trying to do something. I don't know if you've experienced that when you've, you know trying to share something about Jesus in your own strength, maybe, or out of duty. Well, I suppose I should speak about Jesus. Yeah, I'm a Christian, you go to church, it's all right, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, come on, get the kite up. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the wind blows. It's that kind of an experience, isn't it? And you get to the end of it, you think, Phew, I didn't realize I could do that. That's because you didn't. We need the Holy Spirit, don't we? Surely I'm with you always. What an encouragement. Living and residing in us. What a God. Go therefore and make disciples and I'll be with you. Right inside you every single step of the way. We need to be sure as well who it is that is with us. Let's not forget who it is that's with us. And Jesus reminds us of that in this passage. He says in verse 17, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore. When I was a a child, which I used to be, no longer. um, When I went to senior school, I had a twin brother, still have a twin brother. And he was six inches taller than me. I was four foot eleven, he was five foot five. This this is what my twin brother now looks like. If uh, Tom could put the slide up. That's my twin brother. <laughs> yeah, nice tats, nice sleeves. Apparently, that's what, what the cool kids call it. Um, you'd be, you won't be surprised to know that when I was at school, no one picked on me. I occasionally, would you know when my lack of temperance came out I would start a fight and people wouldn't start a fight with me I'd say yeah I'm really hard <laughs> <laughs> he was with me it made all the difference to my safety I, liked, I was just a 4 foot 11 squirt he was the tallest person in the year and no one messed with him no one messed with me either That's quite cool. Who do we have with us? We have the one who controls the wind and the rain with a word. We have the one before whom the demons tremble and flee. We have the one who heals sicknesses and diseases. We have the one who has dealt with sin and death forever. It was quite cool having him with me. I'll be honest with you, it was a close one, but I think I prefer Jesus. (laughs) I think I do. He's with us, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is with us. Psalm 18 verse 6 says this, what can man do to me? And Peter read out that psalm, which I'd love to say I knew the number of, but I didn't. What number was it? Psalm 18. Psalm 18 it was. <laughs> Gift. Psalm 18, it just talked about the power of God, his awesomeness. What can man do to me? Well, actually, you could say horrible things to me. He could hurt me, you could kill me. But in the context of an eternal walk and life with a saviour, what can man do to me? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No one's going to snatch me or you out of his hand. And so, the enemy would seek to say, you haven't got the skills, you haven't got the ability. They're going to think you're hilariously Weak. They're not going to be impressed by your words or even your actions. The enemy seeks to sow fear and lies. Jesus completely hits that face on and says, This all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and surely, surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Who's a fan of The Apprentice? got a slide up here of Lord Alan Sugar. You're fired. Who's a, who's a fan? Have you got any? I've got three, four. Okay. <laughs> Let me explain briefly the context of the apprentice. The apprentice, Alan Sugar's looking for someone to invest money in their business. He's looking for an apprentice, someone to come alongside him so he can help and they can make lots of money together. That seems to be the primary aim. The process of that is that they're about 16, 20 Candidates that come, full of themselves mainly, no humility allowed in The Apprentice. And they come and they're set in teams, tasks and jobs to do. And then they come back to Ann and Sugar and say, this is how we did. And they work out who's the best and he fires the ones that are worse. And eventually gets down to one and they're the winner. I think we process and think about reaching out and making disciples as if Jesus was Lord Sugar. What do I mean? We think he's given this task to do without giving us the resources, help, ideas, energy, money, time. We just think Jesus says, get on with it. Now, obviously, we don't now because I've just been talking about how he doesn't. But I just want to encapsulate this in this illustration, really. That we can process it. And when we come back from an ineffective evangelism crusade, personally, When we come back from sharing good news about Jesus and it's not gone well, we're expecting a Lord and and Sugar. I I was going to do an impression. I won't do. No. (laughs) It'll detract away from the truth. Um, Jesus is an anti-Alan Sugar. He's an anti-Lord. That's A-N-T-I, not A-U-N-T-Y. Anti-Alan Sugar. What do I mean? We can come back. We can come to him. He commissions us. He commissions us and says, I'm going to go with you for a start. I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to help you and coach you and train you. And you know what? I'm never going to fire you. Because you're part of my family. You're my child. And so it's not about your performance. It's not about how well you do. You're already on my team. On the basis of, you're already on my team. You're part of my family. I've chosen you. That's the ground. That's the basis. That's unchanging. And that is the platform for evangelism. Successful or otherwise. We're not always going to be successful. And Adrian Holloway has been so helpful in talking about steps rather than fruit moving people closer towards a commitment and a relationship rather than defining successful evangelism as someone says they want to commit to Jesus that day, there and then. And I just want to encourage us. I think actually we're doing more than we realize. And Jesus actually is quite pleased with us. Because he says to us, really, you're my child whom I love. I want you to walk with me. I want you to go on mission. Not because you have to, not because it's a duty, because it's a joy. I want you to taste and know my love. I want you to get hold of what I've done. I really want you to get hold of it. I want to stir you and propel you and be the fuel that sends us on mission. And when we go, he is with us with all authority. His spirit resides in us and gives us power to be witnesses. And so we can have great confidence to move out and that fear will go and we can step into the things God has us as we go and make disciples. Now, that verse about making disciples, all nations, baptizing, teaching, is so, so important. We have not got time to cover that today. I hope that's okay. But we've had time just to consider his love, his affections for us, the fears that can stop us, and hopefully to see them defeated today. We want to be those who are free to know the love of God and to share that love unfettered unhankered, just to go straight out and do it because we can't hold it back. Would you like to stand? I'm going to pray for us if that's all right. Father, we thank you that you chose us. It wasn't like we'd done something spectacular and we caught your attention and you said, yes, now my love will go to them. It was when we were still sinners when we're still offensive to you, when your wrath actually should still have been poured out on us. But you chose us, and you chose to love us, and we have not received that which we are due. Instead, we've received what Jesus was due. The punishment we deserved has been poured out on him. He has become sin for us, and we have become his righteousness, and we now come freely before you. We want to experience you and know your love more and more. We don't want to be held back by fears that are totally understandable. We want to be pushing through into what you have for us as we go and make disciples. Come even now as we worship, as we seek you. Come and meet with us, Lord, and and do the things we've been listening to, and do the things we've been talking about, and do the things we've been reading about. Do it for your namesake, that there may be more who worship, more who taste your love, more who know you, more who go, that we might be more on the day of judgment who can say, he's my savior, and the Lord can say, well done, good and faithful servant. We want more to come and taste this wonderful love, Lord. For your namesake and your glory we ask. Amen.